Welcome to another edition of Global Lithium Q&A, where I answer your questions on the lithium industry, and from time to time, we bring on special guests to deal with issues of the day. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another episode of Global Lithium Q&A. It is Wednesday, October 23rd, and at this hour in Charlotte, it's already tomorrow in Australia, so I'll do a little bit of time traveling here and wish the good friend of the Global Lithium Podcast, Chris Simpson, a very happy birthday. Um, We have a lot to cover today. I will have you in and out of here in less than 15 minutes. Answer four or five questions and a couple of rapid fire questions. Before I get started, I just I received a video this afternoon from Chile showing protesters out in front of the road to uh, Abomarle's facility in the Atacama. It's also my understanding that similar activities are happening at SQM. What's happening in Chile, uh, the violence and the rioting in Santiago that is now seemingly uh, the unrest has spread to the provinces. Um, you know, my uh, hope is that this uh, ends soon. From a lithium standpoint, though, I'm sure that, you know, as video gets transmitted around the world quickly these days, that uh, the battery, uh, the cathode makers in Asia are probably a little concerned that uh, the unrest may lead to. Uh, problems at the port, which would stop the flow of uh, lithium from Chile to Asia. I'm not saying any of that's going to happen, but I know the concerns are real, having been in the industry a long time. Generally speaking, the concern about Chile is that there'll be a massive earthquake and that will shut the port down. But uh, any any uh, closing of ports uh, would be a very uh, negative thing for the lithium supply chain. So hopefully order is restored in Chile very soon and uh, things get back to normal. So with that, I'll go to question one, which is from John in New South Wales. What do you think about Rio Tinto's announcement that they will produce lithium in California? Anyone who follows me on social media already knows I don't think much of Rio Tinto's announcement for a couple of reasons. One is that Rio Tinto is a global mining giant with deep pockets. You know, it's been my hope over the last few years that either a major oil and gas player or a major mining company would uh, decide to bring their financial power to the lithium industry from an investment perspective. And really what Rio Tino's done is to <laughs> their plan now, and, 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 and as I understand it, it's really kind of a skunk works project by the, the local California guys from Rio Tino to, to reprocess tailings. You know, I guess their initial target was something else and they, they found there's gold and then their tailings, uh, and there's also lithium in them, their tailings. Um, you know, this is not really any anything new. Uh, I think Rio Tinto bought the U.S. Borax operations in 1967. And prior to that, uh, you know, the 20 Mule Team Borax company actually tried to enter the lithium business. 
Um, in the 50s, the U.S. government in, was trying to encourage the production of lithium hydroxide to uh, be shipped to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and run through the Y-12 process to get to the trigger for the hydrogen bomb. And I think most people that uh, follow lithium understand that that's really how um, Livent, which at the time was Lithium Corporation of America, and Albemarle, which at the time was Foot Mineral Company, got you know got really a boost to uh, developing uh, lithium production. Uh, so yeah, California does have a history with lithium. There was some minor production back in the day in the fifties, but um, you know now to have Rio Tinto put their focus on tailings instead of a real lithium resource and and, you know, the, the, the other real concern is that this is, you know, stated to be a 5,000 ton plan initially if it, if it goes past the pilot stage. And in a world where demand is slated to go from 270,000 metric tons in 2018 to the million ton range in 2025, building a 5,000 ton plant, even if it ultimately gets expanded to 15, is um, a bit of a you know, small thinking in my mind. And, you know, I, I also am aware that people say, well, they'll learn here and then they'll apply that to Jatter in, uh, in Europe. We'll see. Uh, I just think Real Tinder could do a lot better. There are a lot of lithium projects out there, some world-class that require investment. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, Argentina's got two in Catamarca province. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm really not very excited about Rio Tino's done, but I'm not going to beat a dead horse. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe this will get them started anyway. Second question is from Cynthia, and that's from an undisclosed location. Do you have any comment on Tanchi's recent report of a financial loss? Well, Cynthia, um, I think it, it it was pretty well um, described in the Reuters article that you probably read, I read, and also I think Financial Times covered it. I have not gotten financials in English yet, so I haven't done a lot of a deep dive here. Um, obviously, the, the main points covered were that lithium pricing is is down steeply over the last couple of years. You know, they did make a a pretty a reasonable profit in Q2, but uh, it said I think their their interest their financial expenses up 500 percent or something like that uh, due to the uh, interest payments on the money they borrowed for the acquisition of 24 percent SQM, which I have viewed as a strategic mistake, uh, and and commented on that. Uh, I think the the most curious thing about this announcement, though, for me was that. They stated that they couldn't get enough spodumene from green bushes, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, uh, especially given green bushes' recent announcement of their expansion and the fact that TNG's not been short uh, spodumene. They actually don't have matching capacity uh, for the spodumene they get at the present time, given that their expansion in Quinana is not uh, up and running. Uh, and, you know, so it's, uh, 
It's a, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I, I thought it was a nice touch that they did apologize to their shareholders. But um, at the end of the day, Tanchi's got a great asset. Tanchi is provi- one of the major producers in a market that's going to grow three and a half to four X in the next seven years. They'll do fine. This is really an aberration. And uh, better days are ahead for TNG. Third question. Any comment on the ORE or a Cobra earnings call? And this is uh, from, let's see, let me look at this again. This is from Steve uh, in Brisbane. Well, Steve, since it's your your hometown company, um, you know, I've, I've written extensively about Oracobre and commented the unfortunate reality is they don't produce a great product yet. They even acknowledge that they had to come up with a new name for the product they produce because most of the product they produce doesn't meet existing specs. So they, they produce a lot of what's called primary grade, which uh, could easily be called not that good grade. Um, when they entered the market, they entered at a perfect time a couple of years ago. Pricing was high. The market was short. They were able to sell this primary grade at a premium to, in many cases, to what Abelard and SQM were getting at the same customer because they were the incremental supplier. They were supplying the, the piece of the business that Abelard and SQM uh, couldn't supply or at the time, you know, they, you know, the whole market was short, so uh, that was the need that Oracle met then, and they were able to get price accordingly. Now, um, the market isn't in a short situation; it's at it, the battery grade level. It's it's you know pretty much in balance, and in the in the low grade category, there's an oversupply, and that's really where most of Oracle Race product has to be sold is at the low end of the market. And so their pricing has fallen off a cliff, much, much steeper fall than SQM's taken. And I've made that point before, so I won't belabor it again. I think, you know, that's my summary. It's just another quarter where uh, Oracle Race prices down because of where they are in the marketplace. And um, that's, you know, an unfortunate reality. So um, I don't need to say too much more about that. I think they are also going to struggle uh, with their hydroxide operation in Japan as it gets built. Um, one, you know, people are thinking, well, that's a good home for this, this lower quality product. You can clean it up in, in, by making hydroxide. And that's true. You can clean it up. But it makes running a hydroxide operation harder. The, the lower the quality of the input, generally speaking, the lower quality of the output. So um, I'll leave you with that. Finally, from a question standpoint, before rapid fire, I was asked to comment on the Goldman Sachs report today. Actually, I think it came out yesterday. Um, You know, I was really happy to see a big bank take a positive position since we've had so much bad news lately. And most of the bad news is, uh, you know, kind of along the Morgan Stanley litany of uh, price crash and oversupply and 
so on and so forth. So Goldman came out with a, a report stating that people ought to, you know, given given a buy rating to Apple Marlon Live at, and they give a, I think, a very reasonable assessment that we may be nearing a time when it makes sense to get back in, the, the market may be turning. I'm paraphrasing, of course, uh, and you can read the report yourself. But um, I thought that was really good to see a big, big bank take the position that, that maybe this is a good time to look at the lithium market again because it's been probably beaten up too much. If I look at the whole report, the whole 20 pages, um, I guess I would say I'd give it a B, maybe a B minus, because I think they they have a, a lot of the, the details in the report on cost curves and such that, you know, people tend to rely on big banks and sometimes they're the, they're the furthest off the mark. Um, uh, I was, I, I didn't like some of their cost curve information. I, I just thought it was wrong. Um, I was glad to see them quoting benchmark more and more, um, you know, benchmark has now a very large team totally focused on the materials that go into lithium ion batteries. And, and I just think they're probably in a better position many times than these big banks to comment. So that's, uh, on balance. Thanks to Robert Courtney's team for the, the positive, uh, feeling of the report. Uh, still think you can do an upgrade on some of your details, but, uh, you know, we can, Agree to disagree on the cost curve if you'd like. So with that, I'm going to rapid fire two questions. Oh, before I do that, I, I have gotten DMs the last two times I put out these podcasts asking me why I don't comment on Damasco. Well, I think the Damascus situation speaks for itself. Um, I think it's almost beyond saving, even though the Quebec government uh, recently said they were going to save Damascus. So let's let's see how it plays out. I think that uh, the leadership of Damascus made so many complicated deals and so underperformed that it would be very, very tough for a rational party to put a lot more money in there. But, hey, stranger things have happened. Uh, so I don't want to say anything more about Damascus. I, I don't see it as a major <clears throat> uh, influence in the market in the next few years. Okay, so I'm actually going to go over time here. It's in the 14.30 now, so give me 16 minutes. Um, what book have you read lately? Interesting question. The book that I just am finishing is called Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. Um, Michael Lewis has done a lot of great books. And um, I think the full title is Flash Boys of Wall Street Revolt. It's a great book um, about high frequency trading. And uh, the protagonist is a man from Toronto named Brad Katsuyama, who did what he could to help fix the fairness in how trades are executed. So I won't uh, do any more spoiler than that. Um, and uh, I guess the final question is, Joe, why do you block so many people on Twitter? Um, you know, that's an interesting question. I do block a lot of people on Twitter. I mean, I, I'm very blunt on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I, 
I get a lot of negative response to my bluntness of that, and that's fine. Uh, I don't mind that. I do mind when people are just mean spirited or foul mouthed or attack my family or my mother who actually is dead. Um, so if somebody goes kind of what I outside what I consider the bounds bounds of reasonableness, I just block them. I mean, this is Twitter is not a democracy. Nobody has the right to look at my tweets. It's a, it's a, you know, it's my little space and um, if people just disagree with me. That's absolutely fine. If people are mean spirited or nasty about how they do it, or just comment on my tweets to hype their lousy um, junior lithium project, they immediately get blocked. So um, I had, you know, I've had three requests in the last 48 hours to unblock. I do unblock from time to time, but not very often. So anyway, um, Twitter is not, my Twitter account is not anybody's right to look at. It's a, you know, a situation where if you, you get outside, of, you get out of bounds, you get blocked. And um, not that it's a big deal that I have 500 people blocked on Twitter. So with that um, happy report, uh, I will say, as I normally do on the Global Lithium Podcast, good night and good luck. <laughs>